Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawk fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, sitting down with co-host Keith Myers. Fun show today, Keith. We're just kind of doing a uh, a little ad hoc Seahawks history, coaches history, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Having a fun fun conversation. I mean, one of the one of the fun thing about um, all of this is that you've been been with uh, the team as a fan, for, you know, from year one, and I joined in in the early eighties. Um, you know, when you I finally miss was old much, enough. Keith. I know. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so when I was finally old enough to know what football was and, um, but we've both been around this team for a long time, which is, yeah. Yeah. Which uh, makes for so, some fun conversations once in a while. Now, of course, yeah, so it, you know, I'm out of practice because I don't really have these history conversations much. And so, uh, if, if I have to dig too far, it, it's probably going to not be, not be great, but, um, these are, it will be an interesting show. I mean, I think essentially what we kind of wanted to do was kind of go over the coaches and focus on that. Maybe from that comes additional conversations about players, timeframes and all that kind of fun stuff. But um, how you, how you been before we get started? I've been good. It's um, almost summer and um, it would be nice if the weather actually looked like summer instead of we have it to the wettest spring in 82 years. Yeah. So, that's a long time. But, which, you know, when you look at it compared to other parts of the country, we shouldn't be complaining, but yeah. It seems like, you know, most of the country is flooding, so it's 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 nuts. Today's cool here today, mm-hmm. cooler. It's like 101. Oh, and, it's like um, breezy. That's, that's a downturn. You know, it was 114 uh, a few days ago. I still don't understand how you live there. I don't. <laughs> Well, I don't live outside when it's 114. I can tell you that much. Um, so, yeah, you know, just just to talk about my history, I guess I was uh, I don't mind telling you my age or whatever. Uh, I was 11 years old when the franchise started in 1976. And I was fortunate enough to have my mom and dad have season tickets. We had three seats on the about the 25 yard line, section 102 seven row or section 103 row seven seats one two three and we had those seats from 70 whenever he bought them 75 maybe to um 89 and i got out just in time before the 90s started because there was a a a period of time in there nobody wanted to be a fan although i have to give seahawks uh, seattle fans credit they hung in there um as they they always seemed to do and uh, some of the best fans in the world in those kingdom days you know when you first started you'd get into the kingdom and we sat in a section well most of the sections in the lower level you know the 100 level were kind of temporary seats i'd say probably at least 50 percent of them were uh moved in and out for baseball and so forth and so these seats uh fans soon found out made quite the racket when you jump up and down and so 
uh, in addition to the yelling, because we didn't know how to be fans yet. We didn't have a football team. You know, it was new to everybody. So we go into this experience together and we just kind of, that's what made it so unique and so special, you know, in the end. Um, but, you know, you'd start slamming your feet down, like when the other team had the ball and they were trying to huddle. And, and so we were trying to make as much noise as possible. And um, it got really loud in there. I mean, the whole place would kind of vibrate from from these seats. And that was that was one memory. The other memory is early on, I'm going to say, like, at least by season two, Bill the Bear Man emerged as this figure yep. that came out of nowhere that he just ended up being this, like, Seahawks lure guy that, you know, he was a, he was a bear guy. He was the guy that's, you know, walked up and down the aisles forever and sold beer and but he was a loud boisterous kind of guy he's his voice would carry halfway across the stadium you know and i'm 11 years old i'm just thinking wow this guy's this guy's pretty impressive because he can get somebody's attention like you know 50 yards away and uh, all sorts of entertainment but anyway he started leading chairs mm -hmm. and he started doing this like see and then the other side of the stadium would go hawks and he just throw it back and forth and back and forth and pretty soon this entire building was in sync and it was just the craziest thing and i it was just so much fun and then um i think at the university of washington i think it, it, in the fall started the wave and uh, one year and this is probably like two or three years into it i know Kate, I, but the, and, but he started the wave at, at the kingdom and i think it was like a pre-game thing at, at first and then it it came during the game and this thing would end up going like five times. So you'd have five times you'd get up before it completely came circle again. And so this thing would just be waving back and forth and the noise and this wave. And it was like, my goodness, it was intense. I mean, it was just intense. And um, yeah, so those are my early memories as a child. Now, as far as the football stuff is concerned, uh, Jack Patera was the first coach and um the team was a, a franchise so we didn't inherit a team it was a brand new franchise and uh, they were uh, they had a supplemental draft that helped us uh, get players from all over the league players that weren't protected i think we did the same uh, the same thing in tampa came into the league at the exact same time mm -hmm. and so we kind of had a uh, first wave of players come come in that way and we ended up with uh, jim zorn and you know, just a whole bunch of character guys. Efren Herrera was the kicker, and uh, a guy by the name of Steve Largent came from Houston. Uh, for an eighth-round draft pick. For an eighth-round draft even pick. An eighth round, there isn't even an eighth round yeah. anymore. They used to have 12, I believe. Yeah, I think they used to have but, 12 rounds back then. But there, there isn't even an eighth round anymore. So basically, you're thinking of what today would be an undrafted free agent. And probably the second best receiver all time yeah NFL. he's he's yeah jerry rice steve larger there there's there's a few there now um you know but but there's more games now the game has completely shifted you know back in that day um it was a running league and um, oh yeah and so the the passing uh stuff and and then you had jim zorn as quarterback so let's all put that in perspective. Jim Zorn probably would have been a tail end starter in this league at, at this point, you know, um, if he were to enter the league now, if he could even find a starting job. And, yeah. but back I mean, then, so, but, 
but in terms of in terms of overall quiet quality, put him in in perspective. Like who would he be in today's NFL? Wow. I mean, good night. I guess if you, you know, if he got the starting job and he was a quarterback, he would be a mid-tier kind of a guy. Um, I don't think he'd be that high. Uh, See, yeah. The, I'm the, the I'm, that, but mid-tier for me is like 20 to 25 ranked okay, quarterback so in the me, league. Okay. So, uh, so my thought was Andy Dalton. Yeah. A, yeah. Guy, who can, a guy who can start. But isn't, yeah. He is a little bit more charismatic than Andy Dalton. No, I was not, not talking about that. I'm talking about in terms of talent on field production, you know, compared to his yeah. peers. He's about, no, he, he would be, a, he would be what you would consider a placeholder in today's NFL, mm-hmm. a guy that a transition, a bridge kind of quarterback to get to the next greatest, best thing. Um, so he just wouldn't hold up in today's standards. Really? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> um, um, yeah. So back then Jack Patera, right. Um, didn't realize it at the time, but it felt like more he was more of a placeholder as a coach too. And I know that he, the team, he was the guy and the coach, but uh, he ended up getting fired because of retaliation against union leaders um, during the 1982 strike. And the moment he's gone, this team gets better. So. They yeah. get better under the interim coach, and then they right. bring in Chuck Knox, and under Knox, instantly become one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, set records in, in terms order. of, yeah, just in, like instantly, especially defensively. Um, well, I don't and, want to gloss over Jack Patera first. So Jack Patera was an interesting guy because you know they brought him in because he was a he was a players coach. He wasn't a, a tremendous disciplinarian. Uh, he was kind of, you know, he, I think he coached at the University of Oregon or something like that for a little while. And uh, I can't, I can't remember all of the, the the places. He didn't. He wasn't around too much, but he came in. He was kind of a player's coach. Uh, everyone liked him. Uh, he was kind of fun. Uh, those early game, uh, you know, early seasons were uh, talent short, but creativity um ruled the day and so they did a lot of you know trickery trick plays to kind of you know give the fans something to cheer for um so th- those were fun years the, the, there was no expectations so early on you know a, a, as an early fan base there was just no expectations to win whatsoever so anything that was remotely resembled a win or or close a game or or outstanding performance by individual players was just celebrated um, so he was, a, he was kind of the perfect coach for that because he didn't have any real expectations either. Um, and then when he went away, he just kind of drifted away, like you said, and then Mike McCormick came in and Mike McCormick was kind of the general manager, I think at the time, and then kind of took over the coaching duties because he'd already coached in the league, like five or six separate seasons for a few different teams. And so he kind of, you know, the season was what, what Patera came in after a couple he took over after a couple games, right, or something like that. Yeah, after two games, it was, it was in the um, the strike shortened nineteen eighty two season. Okay, um, the team finished four and five. Yes, there were only nine games because of the strike, but um, yeah, they they fired Patera after two games, and not because really because of the on field stuff. It was mostly because of the union stuff, and and um, that was going to be a massive problem. So he disappeared. McCormick came in. 
So this um, is 1982. Yep, 1982. Okay. McCormick comes in, leads this, leads the team till the end of the year, and then goes back into the front office. He, it was a one-year, like part of a year thing, um, with no intent of being like turning interim head coach into head coach. Right. He just um, wanted a longer time to search for a, a good coach. Yeah, and so he came he down and and managed the team, and then went back to the front office, and they brought in Chuck Knox. So the thing about that move. Um, and you got to remember at the time <clears throat> we were nothing like the franchise was nothing. There, there was a bunch of no names on the roster. Uh, the expectation level was zero to get a good coach in here from, from anywhere. And here comes Chuck Knox, the coach from the Los Angeles Rams, the vaunted Los Angeles Rams with that great, uh, Jack Youngblood defense and the running game and all that kind of stuff. And you're, and we literally, I was like the first time that the franchise took a step up and, and went out and got a good coach with the idea that we could actually compete and be better. And um, so that was a great moment in franchise history, I thought. Yeah, I mean, it was a little Is that about the time that you started becoming a fan? Uh, the following year uh, was, was when I really, I mean, my, my dad watched games and so I was around and I watched, I had no idea what I was watching there in 83 and that was the i mean they went nine and seven but you wouldn't have known it from the defensive stats and like just the number of interceptions that defense got is just insane um and but you know that was the kind of the ground check year the kurt warner year um and they made it to the um afc title game yeah and then got beat not, by the not Rams. with jim zorn as the quarterback either no dave craig Dave um, came in like yep. right away when Chuck Knox arrived and took over for Jim Zorn. Yep. Um, it was the following year. So coming off that, that year where they started slow, but then gained all that momentum, made it to the AFC title game, had that great defense. Um, the Seahawks were for eight, 1984 were the, they were the Seahawks of um, 2013, right? They were everybody's pick. Yeah. To, to to go and 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 do all of it and all of that ended the very first game and the very first game when their star their superstar their guy that they traded three first round draft picks for kurt warner goes down with a knee injury in week one and honestly he was never the same we, and that. we all thought that was the end I mean, that was the end. That that was the end of the season. There was going to be no competing whatsoever, and blah 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 blah. You know, Chuck Knox. I'll give him credit. Chuck Knox turned that thing into a, a real competitive season. You know, I'll go back to the '83 season there, and the and the uh, defying expectations was just crazy. So Jim uh, Jim Zorn's gone. Who's this guy from David Craig, little Milton College, and you know Wisconsin or whatever, and um, the guy with teeny hands. <laughs> and um but he just had this flair this ability to kind of play above and beyond his skill set and just kind of will the team you know and make these plays that were just outrageous once in a while of course he you know put the ball on the turf and fumble and have an interception now and again but he just lead these drives that were just epic for the time because we just never had anything like that and um I think those were the years too. I think if if you really think back, um, where Steve Largent was just amazing. I mean, totally Mister Clutch. Like anything in remotely uh, close to his orbit, he he 
brought down and caught and just had the most amazing route. So if you ever go back and watch Steve Largent film, which I would recommend for any fan, um, just watch his footwork and, and the ability for his upper body to move in a completely separate direction than his lower body and just turn guys around and, oh, silly. I mean, I've never seen a receiver consistently be 10 yards open in my entire life that's steve Largent. i mean it was like doug baldwin on steroids it was it was crazy oh yeah um so that and that and and i think that year if i'm thinking right it's 83 or 84 keith you might help me they beat like the uh, the oakland raiders twice that year it was, we beat him at home we beat him at home and then we beat him on the ever road beat the raiders twice yeah we beat him on the road and then we had to play him in the afc championship game so the third time in the in the in the so we went to to Miami. We won this most improbable game against uh, what's who's the quarterback? Dan there? Marino. Dan Marino, right? We win this most improbable game on the road uh, against Dan Marino in the final couple minute where Steve Largent made this like forty five yard or sixty yard catch and and little run uh, to get down close to the goal line. We pulled that game out. We go on the road against the Oakland Raiders in the AFC Championship game. And, we were that close to get to the Super Bowl for the first time. Oakland wins that game, third game, you know, in that season to to face the same team. That's tough, and they were a very good team. And oh, yeah. I, uh, in fact, uh, was Flores the the coach then, or was it um, was it still? I think it was Madden. Madden, yeah, isn't yeah. that crazy? So, um, and then we lost. Oakland goes on and beats. I think. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong the Washington Redskins uh, in the Super Bowl, correct? Oh, um, that does that's not just, sound right. That's just my memory. I'm it probably is it. right. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was Washington. Uh. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, and then we come back in, in 84, and here's the Oakland Raiders again. Denver's got John Elway. Here we are with little Dave Craig, and we're one of the favorites in the AFC. Um, well, and that's when yeah, we, with we're, Kurt, we're still in the Kurt, AFC. Yeah, I mean, Kurt Warner goes down with – um that knee injury and everyone's like well that's it because he was the yeah. superstar dan he dornick was, was the running back or next somebody like that right yeah um yeah <laughs> i mean the, your this whole team was built around running the football just out muscling everyone being um more physical stronger bigger all of that and suddenly your whole identity is gone and to chuck knox's credit i mean everyone called him ground chuck um, because he just wanted to run the ball, but to his credit that year, he opened he up the totally offense totally adjusted and it became air Chuck. And that is yeah. the year that I became a Seahawk fan because I wow. was old enough. I was old enough to get into it and it was so entertaining and I didn't know completely what I was watching, but I annoyed the hell out of my dad asking a million questions, every game, learning the game. And cause that was the year that. It wasn't just yay they won. It was it was fun to watch and it was exciting. And I was, you know, this kid that was learning um, about the game. And at eighty four, that's my year. I've been hooked on this team ever since. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just five dollars on any team to win and get one hundred and fifty dollars in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Day Parlays, you can do just that. 
Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place the same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So who was the other wide receiver opposite of Steve Largent back then? Um, was that Sam McCollum? Was he was he the guy there or was he earlier than that? I can't remember. Anyway, they had some nice wide receivers. They had some their defense um, like Dave Brown, I, I believe, was there and Ken mm-hmm. Harris and um you know a few other guys like it's been a while so i'm having a hard time remembering all those names but um you know, it's, it's only been almost 40 years yeah so. <laughs> and i haven't gone back and looked i just i just uh i don't I, i'm trying to remember but yeah it's it's it, it was just a fun team a fun defense i in fact keith wasn't oh, 84 the year where they had like five interceptions against the kansas city chiefs at home that does sound I, I was at that game. I yeah, I was at that game and they had like five interceptions. Kenny Easley had a couple and and Dave Brown had two and Ken Harris or something like that and they and they ran like two or three of them back for touchdowns. And we just completely wiped them off the map. It was one of the greatest games I'd ever attended in person. Yeah, as a team they had 38 interceptions that <laughs> I mean, yeah. think, think about this like uh, Kenny Easley had 10 on the season. Dave Brown had eight. John Harris had six. Like, um, yeah. And that's not wow. even the most. The most, uh, or no, that was all. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong column. Um, I was going to say, this person had 15. No, that was one for 15 yards. But, um, I mean, that's just 10 interceptions by Easley. Most teams yeah. don't get to that um, in today's NFL. And to, in today's NFL, they throw the ball a lot more. Um, that defense was just special, and yeah. um, your and your Jacob Green, about- I think, was was drafted in '84, yep. maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as the I think the number ten overall pick or something like that uh, in the in the draft, and um, yeah, that the whole thing kind of turned around when Chuck Knox came. That the identity of the franchise turned around. There was hope. Uh, people felt really good about that, and they had a nice little run there um for about you know eight what it was about eight years they didn't make the playoffs all the time but they were real competitive they made they um, made the playoffs um four years under knox which they had not made the playoffs before chuck knox so uh right. the fact so that they the made most it success four, in franchise yeah. history to that point of course we're only talking you know 10 years old as a franchise mm-hmm. but um it seems crazy to me now because it seems so long ago it seems like it's it was a much longer period of time. Um, okay, so Chuck Knox leaves, and uh, and by the way, uh, Chuck Knox died in 2018 at the age of 86. Yeah. I wanted to say too that um, Jack Patera died o- October 31st of 2018 at the age of 85 as well. So the other thing of note, Keith, is that we only have one coach in our entire franchise history that is um, that is under the age of 70 currently now or or passed away 
So um, that's crazy. And we've only had eight coaches and yeah, and he's <laughs> 60 and we've only had eight coaches in, in franchise history compared to the same amount of time, uh, both uh, San Francisco and I think the Rams have both, or maybe it's the Cardinals both have 14 head coaches during that same period of time. So pretty stable franchise. Okay. Okay. Well, the, so, and and the, the, the fact that you can say stable after what came after Knox is amazing. Because what it was an amazing time because that was after, really unstable. Yeah. What came after um, Chuck Knox? So they finished seven and nine that final year, and he was on his way out. Um, and 1992 happened. And so they hired Flores, the guy from uh, Oakland, um, who's now in the Hall of Fame because he's, you know, the first, my, um, first um, Hispanic head coach and all of that. He was brought in not to win games. And they won soup. No, 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 man. He won two Super Bowls with the Oakland Raiders. He did, but he was brought into Seattle to not win games. Really? He he was hired in Seattle to tear the team down and make it I, and get it yeah. ready to sell. Yeah. So, they, I mean, yeah. Because the owner the owner at that time wanted to move, move the team out of Seattle. So during and this whole period of time, the Nordstrom sold to Ken Baring. Mm-hmm. And Ken Baring was from California. And the, the idea, the rumors started early with Ken Baring, actually, that he wanted to move uh, the team um, to Los Angeles. And I don't necessarily completely agree with the whole Tom Flores dived the team because I think that the integrity of a coach like Tom Flores is probably higher than that. Um, but that's what happened in, he in, was, in the end. He, he was horrible, but we also had horrible draft picks and the whole thing it may have come more of a general manager situation in cahoots with um he was hiring to kind of trash this thing a great coach won two super bowls and was great at everything and he comes to seattle and is just abysmal at his job Mm. and at the same time that the owner is um saying that the fans don't care. Seattle doesn't care. We need to move to California and all of that. And he's making this team just an absolute joke. Um, you may not want to, you know, say that Flores was that, but Flores was that. He was not. They, there was an effort to win. There were. You look at the play calling of what happened in some of those games, and you're like, they are not trying to win. They just genuinely aren't. They don't care. Um, and I mean, and this was a team in 92 with, uh, Cortez Kennedy on defense, right? Um, defensive player of the year was on a team that went two and 14. How odd is that? Um, you know, and these times are forgettable. I mean, what was like, uh, I think Kelly Stouffer, um, was the court maybe Stan Gelbaugh? Stan was, Gelbaugh was the was the quarterback who right. played the most. So and and that's why we lost. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to win with those guys as at quarterback. Is you know, and and uh, Kelly Stouffer was uh, drafted, I believe, when Ken when uh, Knox was still here, if well, actually, I remember correctly. He was not drafted by Seattle. He was um, he the Seahawks traded for him uh, oh. in part because basically he got drafted and um 
I do not remember who drafted okay. him. But they well, were anyway, like, oh, he's not Knox, who we thought we were and instantly traded him to Seattle. Maybe it was um, the Indianapolis Colts. And I and it seemed like Chuck Knox was completely against that move. And Absolutely. Mike McCormick was the guy that brought him in, I believe. Yep. Um, okay. So let's pass through this because Tom Flores era and that whole thing. So let's talk about, we can talk about ten, the, the bearing situation. Can it, can it, it, it leads to what happens in the future. So, well, um, okay. So the, the Ken bearing situation is funny because um, the, the final justification as he was trying desperately to get this team out of Seattle and down to California, his final call was that the kingdom was unsafe because of earthquakes. And he wanted to go to LA. <laughs> and at that point, um, I'm done with you. You clearly have no integrity <laughs> at all as a human being. And the NFL was done with him too. So he, um, when they, they denied him every request to relocate and he was forced to sell. Yeah. So they had, they had trucks, uh, loaded with all the equipment and actually on I five. Uh, heading towards Los Angeles in the middle of the night when this thing got turned around. Mm -hmm. So that, that I don't remember the exact details of how it got completely stopped, but I think the league said no. And yeah. they, so they drove the, turned the trucks around, literally put it all back. And then it seemed like we just kind of, <laughs> I don't even remember exactly what happened in, in that year or two years right there before Dennis Erickson kind of came on board. Um, but, <laughs> it's it's just a forgettable situation so okay so dennis erickson comes on board in 1995 he'd had some previous success immediately before that with the oregon state Univer University, university of miami and and then went to the university of miami had national championship yep won a national title at the university of miami he'd played yeah. he coached um uh, idaho then moved to washington state then um went somewhere else um, no, that, that's when he went to Miami. Um, then he came to the Seahawks and then after the Seahawks, he bounced down to, um, Oregon state and eventually ended up with oh, okay. that's right. a weird career wow. uh, yeah. for him. Okay. So you got a better memory on that than I, than I did. So that surprises me because but he like, had, he's a very forgettable person. Well, right. And he, you know, I was actually, I remember at the time kind of being a little excited for Dennis Erickson coming from Miami national championship. Um, was it Vinny Testaverde that, that he won the national championship with? Yeah. And, um, and, and Vinny Testaverde comes to mind, um, in year four of Erickson. That's another story, but yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, did he cross the goal line or not? He um, didn't even come close. So, yeah. And so Dennis Erickson leaves Seattle with a 31 and 33 overall record. Basically so a 500 coach and Dennis, you know. Dennis Erickson um, was, oh man, I was going to make this joke and now I can't remember the name <laughs> coach for the Rams forever and was mediocre. Oh. Fisher. Yeah, he was um, Jeff Fisher before Jeff Fisher. Um, he went eight and eight, seven and nine, eight and eight, and eight and eight. Wow. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he was bad. Um, right. And then in the final year of that, they looked like they they could have made the they had they had a, they were in a position they could make the playoffs as the last wild card team um, if they win in the final game against the Jets and Vinny Testaverde 
runs, you know, sneaks up the middle for negative one yards, but somehow they call a touchdown, even though the only yeah. thing that came close to the goal line was, was helmet. his helmet. Yes. And, um, and that's how instant replay started folks. That's well, that's how instant replay came back. It had yeah. been around no, in okay. at earlier, but it was terrible. And the way that they were doing it was they were reviewing almost every play and it was making games like four and a half hours long. And so they scrapped it. But then that particular thing brought instant replay back to the NFL and in the current system where there's challenges and there, you can only have so many um, instant replays per game so that it doesn't extend the game too long and all of that. So um, yeah, but in the, in the end um, it too big, significant better for Seattle. Well, and two things, two significant things happened, you know, during, during that period, um, the team was, went for sale and they needed a new stadium and there was all this rile about, you know, saving the franchise. And there was really only one hero that would possibly step up and it was Paul Allen and Paul Allen purchased the franchise and saved football in Seattle. So, um, Let's, if we tell that story a little bit, you look at um, Paul Allen was already the owner of the Portland Trailblazers, and that was his thing. That's what he wanted to have. That's that was his franchise. That was his his baby. Um, when Love, all this, he loved basketball. Yeah. Um, but when all the stuff was going down with the Seahawks, his sister Jody Allen went to her brother Paul and said you have so much money like and you earned it here in seattle we have a civic duty to this city to make this right and not let the team leave wow and that is how paul allen became the owner of the seattle seahawks so i get that there's a lot of angst about jody allen and we know this team eventually has to sell um, because of the terms of the trust and all of that. But we have to remember that Jody Allen played a very key role in keeping the Seahawks in Seattle. Wow. Good point. I totally uh, missed that. I mean, I probably heard that at some point, but yeah, that's a nice reminder. So, and and then they commit, you know, he gets the, uh, the county to uh, commit or the state to commit like what, $150 million towards a new, stadium mm-hmm. and he puts in a little bit of money and you know the league kicks in some and so we end up with uh seahawk stadium i think is the original name right keith for one year until yeah. it became century or no right. then it became quest quest century quest and then century link and now it's lumen because right. and that the- and that stadium is is nearly 20 years old right it is yeah. um and it, it that's weird to think about because you go there and I go there, you know, every year still, and it's still, there's a lot of it that feels new. Yeah. It was and when you were in the kingdom, when it was 20 years old, Oh, it was a dump. It, it felt like it was 60 years old. <laughs> yeah. It was an absolute dump. Um, the kingdom was a terrible place to watch a game, uh, in terms of like a lot of the different stuff and the angle viewing yeah. angles and all right. of that kind and of stuff. Just, was bad. You couldn't hear the announcers either. It would just echo it off everything. And yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So, and then, okay. So the franchise is saved, the stadium is being built and Seattle, uh, uh goes out and hires, uh, arguably, um, well, easily 
the second best coach in franchise history, Mike Holmgren. Yeah, without, um, without question. And Mike spends, what, nine or ten years in, in Seattle, accumulates like a, a nice winning record, takes us to our first Super Bowl. I have to tell you, I went to the uh, the NFC Championship game against the Panthers in, in uh, 2005, or two, it would have been 2000, was it 2005? Yeah, 2005, mm-hmm. January 2005. And at the time, it was the single greatest football game I'd ever been to in my life because uh, we were, I think we may have even been either even or slight underdogs to the Panthers. Now that was when Steve Smith, the uh, patch or, or uh, Delome was the quarterback yeah. and, and Steve, Steve Smith, Smith was, was their the wide receiver. Wide receiver and they had a great running, the NFL. They had yeah. a great running game and that it's a nice stout defense. And uh, we just slobber knocked them uh, in that game. And, um, and uh, Hasselback had a, had a good game and Sean Alexander had a good game and uh, the defense nearly shut him out. And it was just a wild, crazy affair. And so when we NFL won that game, it was MVP. like the euphoria. NFL MVP Sean Alexander, who set the record for total touchdowns um, in the NFL in, in a single season, only to have it broken the following year by LaDainian Tomlinson. Yeah, crazy. But he was out. He had an outstanding year. I mean, that was just an outstanding year for a running back. Um, so the Seahawks made the playoffs in five straight years under Holmgren, 2003 and 2004. Um, and, you know, both times they lost in the wild card round. So they made it, but it didn't matter. But then they went on that run, finally got over the hump, got to the Super Bowl, and then. The next two years, they won a, a playoff game and made it to the divisional round uh, before they lost. So it was five straight years, but you could tell the end was coming. And the following year, the wheels completely came off. Yeah. So, you know, that final year, I, what did we do? Like, was it seven and nine? I think final was year, this final year? No, or four, four and four. And four, four. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was over. You know, it was over and, um, and that was the Jim Mora transition. So I don't know if you want to spend any more time with, with Mike, you know, he was kind of an innovator at the time. He came from that whole West coast offense style out of, um, the San Francisco 49er system. Green Bay went on Super Bowl there. Yeah. Came to Seattle. Yep. Um, so I think you said, oh, he, he, Mike Holmgren was the offensive coordinator under Bill Walsh. In, who was the head coach in San Francisco? Walsh and Holmgren were the two that sat down in an offseason and created the West Coast offense and revolutionized the NFL. Um, like, let's not sugarcoat just how influential he was. But by 2007, which was the second to last year, yeah, his figure it out. Teams had figured out what he was doing. And you could tell in that final year, 2008, he did not have any answers for the defense. They had him figured out. It's very similar. It's very similar to the way that uh, Seattle's defense under uh, Pete Carroll started Mm -hmm. very innovative. And uh, slowly but surely, teams uh, could could put beaters in there for that uh, defense. And and by last year, Ken Norton couldn't. He didn't have any answers for for a lot of stuff, and of course, he had players playing out of position, all that kind of stuff. So we completely brought in a new 
system, the system that's currently in vogue, that's that probably what in 10 different franchises mm -hmm. um, at the at Donatel and um, oh, what is it? What's his name? Spaggio? Fangio. Fangio. Um, Nick Fangio's defense. Um, so it'll be very exciting to, to yeah. see that roll out this year. So, okay. So Holmgren leaves and we go through the Jim Mora season at five and 11. He just completely trashed. I, I know that we only won four games prior, but it, Jim just was an incompetent human being as a coach. You know, he Absolutely. might be a fine person or whatever. Um, I don't even know about that, but but he had completely um, lost the locker room. The, lost the, the locker room the within didn't a few games. Him. They didn't care. Yeah. 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 Um, so he was gone. Tim Ruskell, the, the GM was gone. Tim Ruskell was kind of the architect too um, of the destruction of what was a pretty good roster. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they brought Ruskell in because um, they'd already, Holmgren was fired as GM, but kept as head coach. Um, and they had, you know, and then when they brought Ruskell in, things just started to unravel. And Ruskell was the one who created the Mora situation, which didn't work. He was fired. Mora was fired. And the team went looking for an identity. And instead of going and finding a general manager and then, you know, hiring a coach and with that, they went and found a team vice president or president. Um, so they Tim wanted, Lewicki, I believe, is the guy that was yeah, in charge of that was in this charge. situation. Yep. And he was the president or their general counsel or vice president or something of Vulcan. Mm -hmm. um, same organization that that also controlled the Trailblazers. So there was a little bit of uncertainty as mm -hmm. far as can these do these guys know football? Do they can they figure this out? You know, and yep. that was kind of the, the big story after Jim well, Morrow was gone. And what they did was they went and found someone who knew football and they didn't just hire a person. They brought in an entirely new everything um, because it was a vice president. He controlled everything. He hired his own general manager. Um, he set up the um, entire front office, the entire coaching staff, everything football became new. And of course we're talking about Mr. Peter Carroll. Yeah. Wow. You know, and, and at the time, and I get this uh, came from USC Half the population hated USC and half the population loved USC. All the Washington uh, Husky fans, Washington State Cougar fans, they hated this guy. And they mm -hmm. didn't even want to give him a chance because he's washed up. He already had his time in the NFL, washed out, went to USC. Yeah, he had some success there, but he's a cheater and uh, all that kind of crap. And so he yep. comes on board. I'm like full on happy because I don't care about any of that stuff. See, I, I thought it was a mistake. A I, I looked at him as a, I looked him at as a coach and I looked at him as his um beyond coaching like his, his philanthropy kind of stuff and his his mm -hmm. uh, you know his motivational speaking type stuff and I was looking at the that holistic thing without any of that other garbage in there and um so I was I thought it was a home run when it, when it first happened I just didn't know if he was going to get the chance to yeah. really go for it so I thought it was a bad hire because he had he had kind of had problems. You know, you know the the, the, team the Reggie just, Bush situation. No, I mean, it not, didn't even bother me. It was um, his tenure with the Patriots and the Jets that were both not great. Um, and then yeah, but yeah, he didn't he, have complete buy-in there. 
Yeah, he didn't. And, um, you know, the team got, the Jets got sold and he only got one year and all of that. I know now that my, my opinion was, was kind of dumb, but at the time, um, like it was, that was my thought was he didn't, he would, he had been a pro coach. It didn't go well. He went to college and it went great. So clearly his style, his rah, rah, like, you know, all of that, it works great with college kids, but that doesn't mean it's going to yeah. work with no, That was certainly the players. rub, wasn't it? And I was wrong. Absolutely wrong. Um, you know, that first year they went seven and nine, but made the playoffs because the division was that bad. Um, that gave us the beast quake game against the saints. The year after that, they went seven and nine again. And we're like, mm, maybe this is, isn't going to work. And but you could then, tell that they were a quarterback away. And then they started to turn it around and um, they got Russell Wilson in 2012. They went 11 and the five. year prior, they'd got KJ Wright and, you know, I think yep. Richard Sherman and they were just building and building and building. Um, and Girl so Thomas. 2012 started out really slow, but then they ended up 11 and five uh, made the playoffs lost in the divisional round and against everybody. Yeah. I mean, they, and they had the lead with 38 seconds left. Um, yeah. And then you knew at that point, the whole yeah. franchise had turned. Yeah. The, the, the writing was, was on the wall. You could feel it. You could just yeah. feel it. The, the whole, um, the, the trade for Marshawn Lynch. I know you kind of glossed over that just a little bit with the beast quake thing, but that was epic. I mean, that moment in franchise history is chiseled. It can be in bronze in front of the stadium. And people will remember that run for 75 years. I kid you not, because that, that turned was, that franchise from a loser mentality to an identity in an yeah. instant. And it was awesome. Yeah, that was probably the, I mean, in my opinion, I'm a Seahawks fan. In my opinion, it was the greatest run in NFL history. I giggle um, every time I watch it. Uh, objectively, there's one other run that I could say might be better and that was a um, Barry Sanders run. And when he ran to from one sideline to the other sideline, back to the sideline, you know, started and back to the other one and then eventually broke free and, and went for a touchdown. And with that, right. you go. But this seemed like nothing. it was more consequential. Yeah. Um, and of course it was. It won a playoff game. And it yeah. won a playoff I mean, they game were by a seven, by they a were seven and nine with like, what, four or five minutes to go. They were ahead. And, and they had to basically, they, they the idea was maybe to pick up three or four first downs. If we could pick up three first downs, we could put this game away. We could literally run out the clock. And they were like on the, what, the 30-yard line? Their own 30, something like that. And they hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. It looks completely bungled up. I mean, he didn't have anywhere to go. But he found this little teeny crease, and then he started trucking people. And, um, oh, my goodness. Oh, yep. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that led to the uh, 2012 season we talked about where you could tell this team was, they were destined. They, they, that was, we the found best, our quarterback. That was the best roster in the NFL by a wide margin. They went 13 and three, um, cruised through the playoffs and the Super Bowl, blew the out only, Denver. The only thing holding them back, the only thing that was going to stop them was Peyton Manning's number one offense in NFL history against mm -hmm. the number one defense, arguably the best defense that ever played. 
we didn't maybe know it at the time and we kind of figured that it was really, really good. And and then you look at retrospect, you add the Super Bowl to their resume and that kind of puts them over the top. But before that game, if you remember, there was some nerves because mm -hmm. how do you stop Peyton Manning? You literally trucked like every team that they played throughout the, the season. They were putting up epic numbers, five touchdowns, 450 yards every single time they hit the field. And then he had Seattle's defense. And I think I, I attribute that game to Cam Chancellor because immediately he set the tone against uh, Thomas, their wide receiver, went out in a little short crossing pattern and, and uh, Chancellor hit him and just knocked him flat on his butt, you know, and, and back about six yards and that set the tone. And that was the end of that. Yeah. Chancellor should have been given MVP. Sorry, Malcolm Smith. I can understand why they gave it to you. Yeah. I just disagree with the decision. Cam Chancellor yeah. was the guy. Um, but yeah, awesome. Super Bowl. Woo, first and first one the franchise has ever won. The following year, they make it back to the Super Bowl. But you could tell this was not the same team. They were not as good. The defense was they didn't almost have the same as edge. good. But the offense wasn't. The offensive line had fallen apart. The wide receiver core simply wasn't as good. Um, and they struggled to move the ball at times. There was a lot more three and outs. Uh, they didn't have that edge. They didn't have the ability to just dominate every team the same way that the 2013. But they still had the number one defense in the NFL. Yes, they did. Um, and they made it to the Super Bowl, and they were a yard away from winning. And we know what happened. Let's not talk about it. Um, but the, so they lost that one, and that was when the decline started. And a part of it, it started because the there were players you can't lose a game that way and the the defense thought they won the game then and that the offense gave it up and it became this disconnection between the two and so you ended up with um a major problem a big did you, rift did you hear what kj wright said on the radio just the other day about it no i did not yeah he just kind of confirmed all of that that, that yeah. basically that's when that that's when the team kind of got was lost mm -hmm. was was at that moment so yeah you know and we've been fighting uh, tooth and nail to get back there and you know we've made some big trades that haven't worked and and some trades that have and some draft picks that have been bungled and some draft picks that have been great but we haven't been able to put it all together you know and they, and they went through this major kind of reset in 2017 got rid of some players that were at the time hall of fame level players um that had some injuries and um we had some bad injury luck to to other key players cam chancellor cliff averill and um just could never regain that uh, superiority again you know and of course you're competing against other teams as, as well in, in our own division um that are that are hard to get by so I, you know, when you, when you think about Pete Carroll, I, you got to think about the whole, it's not just this year, what decisions he made last year, whatever. Um, I take a look at the whole, because that's the way he's going to be looked at when he leaves someday. And, um, you know, I think he's a, he's a great coach. I think he makes good decisions. I think he's not credited with being, um, adaptable, um, yeah. in, in a way that I believe that, it, you know, when you go and look back at it he'll be looked at as a guy that really adapted uh, over the course of his career as a, as a coach in Seattle. Um, he obviously uh, will be tied with Russell Wilson 
you know, it wouldn't surprise me if those two enter the Hall of Fame together at some point or introduce each other at the Hall of Fame. Um, and it, it's just one of those things where I'm hopeful that this this reset turns into an, another opportunity to rebuild this team, this roster from scratch to get back into a competitive situation where they can get back to the Super Bowl. But without a franchise quarterback, it's nearly impossible. There's teams that have done it. You look at Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. You look at Jared Goff and with the Rams. But it's 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 more likely to to have a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal that turns to be a lightning in a bottle that um, that will get you there. So we'll see we what happens. We this mentioned year. it when we were talking about the Holmgren era. That Holmgren came over with this offense and it worked and it got him to the CX to a Super Bowl and all that. But the the NFL caught up, and by the time Holmgren was done in Seattle, his offense was done as a viable offense. Pete Carroll's defense was that way. He changed what teams were doing. Um, he changed what teams wanted as a cornerback because of what the Seahawks were doing. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, the NFL caught up to him. And you're talking about his adaptability. Uh, a year ago, we had an all-new offensive staff learning an all-new offense because he recognized that what they were doing and what he had wanted the team to be doing wasn't working and they needed to change and they needed to update and then this offseason he's done the same thing as to his defense he's given up control he's hired some really really smart people um to completely develop a new scheme yeah um that takes and, a lot of guts at 70 he's gonna be 71 by the time the first kickoff comes around in september yeah that's it's that you know a lot of guts. you know what's really fascinating to me is that he's got the offense and and his defense that he just hired is literally designed to stop the offense that we have Mm-hmm. So it's designed to stop the Rams and the 49ers and a few other teams that are, you know, coming up um, in that style of offense. So I find that very interesting that he literally has the offense that other teams are are trying to stop right now. And then he's got this defense too. That's world-class. I mean, it should be interesting. Now uh, I heard uh, Sean to say on, um, on, on uh, an interview say, that um well yeah uh we come from this this background with the three four and but clint hurt's still running the defense he's pete carroll's guy pete carroll's still here we're gonna have a hybrid system we're gonna have a little bit of both we're gonna have a few things we're gonna have some wrinkles teams aren't gonna kind of you know recognize different fronts and and stunts and and all that kind of stuff so it'll be it'll be kind of interesting the first half of the year should be interesting because i think equal parts teams are going to have a hard time figuring out our defense but also we have a brand new defense with a lot of new players our own players are going to have a hard time figuring out our own defense so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they can pull it all together and the one thing that i would i'm going to finish on is coming off that last year yes we have all the new defense with a lot of new players you know wagner's gone wilson's gone we got to figure all that out last year's team was not as bad as the record and everything indicates yes they were seven and ten they finished in last place all of that but they had a positive 29 point point differential if you look at the analytics of that team that's a team that should have been um you know nine and eight or ten and seven 
um, by that point differential. And and you can probably add a few points to that if Russell Wilson is healthy and plays. Yeah, but even even just with the team they had and the injuries that they had, that was a team that that should have won more games than it did. Did Um, we improve the roster minus Russell Wilson in the offseason? Minus Russell Wilson, sure, but the loss of Russell Wilson uh, undoes anything else you do. But they're not coming from this place of, oh my God, the roster, the cupboard was completely bare and they have to start over. Um, Losing Wilson hurts and it sets the franchise way back, but there was more talent here than, and the, the team performed better than I think a lot of fans give them credit for when you look at the overall stats for the year. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, I think that, that Clint Hurt is going to be a great defensive coordinator. I can just kind of tell. And the guys around him, the coaches, uh, Carl Scott, um, Sean Desai, those mm-hmm. guys are competent. Um, I, I have a feeling they're going to use players uh, well this year as far as putting them in a position to be successful. That's why I'm a little hopeful. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm kind of riding this train a little bit as far as trying to get like a Drew Locke or Geno Smith to be a, just a, league average guy because i think league average at quarterback in this system with with the roster that we have does have the potential i think on the very top end i'm just talking if things all work out um to win nine games this year um now is it more likely that they win six yeah it's probably more likely that they win six but i'm just saying if everything kind of hits right the defense plays beyond expectations, which is possible. Um, and the offense plays competent and doesn't turn the ball over. That's the key. If, if uh, Drew Locke has 64% completion percentage and has a two to one touchdown to interception ratio, this team could win nine games. Yeah. If he doesn't, if he, if he throws equal parts, interceptions to touchdowns, his, his completion percentage is close to 60%. It's probably closer to four wins. Yeah. So, um, when we came up with this idea for the today's show, one, this has gone way longer than um, we intended. Sorry, everyone, or thanks, everyone. Um, maybe maybe folks will enjoy it. I, uh, when we came up with this show, it was mostly around the idea that I wanted to mention someone we haven't not talked about yet. Well, let's get <laughs> that I just, in. I just realized that the entire premise of this show was I wanted to talk about Tom Catlin. Oh, who was defensive def- coordinator for a long time. Defensive coordinator for a long time. He was the defensive coordinator of the 2 and 14 team in 92 that had the defensive player of the year and Cortez Kennedy mm. um and kept that defense looking really good, like championship caliber good despite the fact that they have um historically I think they're still the worst offense of all time. Um, and that says a lot, uh, that, that is, that is a coaching job that I'm not sure we will ever see the equivalent of. So I think he's the longest tenured defensive coordinator in Seahawks history at nine years. Yeah. I think he did all of Chuck Knox's tenure and then stayed on with one year, uh, with Tom Flores, um, Mm -hmm. before he moved on. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because he had some great defenses. He he went to the, um, you know, uh, 
division championships and um, conference championships and, and so forth. So he was the coordinator there for that 83 team. Yeah. The Kenny Easley years, all that stuff. That was, that, where it was just a incredibly dominant defense yeah. um, into the years where it got a little lean because the talent dropped off. And then that, yeah, that two and 14 year was his last year in Seattle. Um, honestly, he's, he could have been given coach of the year that year for the job he did. The team was that bad on offense and the defense was still really good. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, that was my thing. I, I really would just wanted to talk about him. Um, I, he never got a head coaching job. I don't think he went on anywhere else after Seattle, um, I had yeah, he heard, was a Buff- Buffalo uh, defensive coordinator for five years, okay. and then Seattle for nine. That was it. Yeah, I heard that he ended up with like stomach cancer or something, and and that kind of ended his career after he left Seattle, and he never made up, you know, did anything else. But um, and that may not be true. It's just kind of what I'd heard. But he's a guy that most fans just don't know that name, and they should know that name. Yeah. Interesting. You know, Rusty Tillman was a defensive coordinator for Seattle for a couple of years under Tom Flores, too. Mm-hmm. He was a great special teams coach, but he couldn't he couldn't coach defense for sure. Anyway, yeah. Keith, thanks, man. I mean, that was a great history lesson for a lot of fans that really haven't paid attention beyond uh, Pete Carroll or uh, Mike Holmgren. You know, mm-hmm. it, the, the franchise does go way back to, to 1976. It's It's good to kind of go back, maybe take a look at some of the players that played, some of the coaches. Uh, some great moments, you know, the, 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 the golden years of the franchise have, have really been coming under Mike Holmgren and especially Pete Carroll and um, yeah. appreciate what you've got. Last, it's, it's pretty great. The last 10 years have been significantly better um, than anything that came before it. And yes, that included a Super Bowl run by with Holmgren at, at the yeah. helm. But I know, you know, back in 2017, um, the Seahawks went nine and seven and missed the playoffs. And that was bad enough that Pete Carroll fired his entire coaching staff. Um, the team had not had back-to-back 10-win seasons ever in its history. But under Pete Carroll, 9-7 and seven was bad enough that he fired his entire coaching staff and brought in all new people. Yeah, so, he's had eight years with 10 or more wins. Yeah. So. Wow. Keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> exactly. Let's 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 let this season ride. Whether yep. whatever it's going to come, we'll see um, what happens. I don't know that it necessarily comes with with Pete Carroll's head on a platter, but um, it shouldn't. You know, because this is kind of a this is a at least a two year plan, if not three, mm-hmm. because that's just what it takes to turn around franchise after you do the quarterback situation. And you know, it, for right or wrong. Um, Russell Wilson is no longer here. Uh, great years, great memories, but it's time to, to shift, and here we are. So, anyway, thanks, Keith. Yeah. Follow, great show. follow Keith on Twitter at NFL. You can follow me at NWC Hockey. You can follow the show. Find your favorite uh, podcast platform and subscribe, and make sure you share. So, till next time, go Hawks, guys. Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. 
You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.